Welcome back, listeners, to the Creepypasta Book Club, the podcast where we read, analyze, and discuss significant creepypastas, no sleeps, and web horror flash fiction. Thank you for your patience during our season break, and I hope you're as excited as we are to jump into season two. We are your hosts, Jonah and Wednesday. And today, we are discussing parts one through three of Pen Pal. But before we get into that, we've talked a lot about having more spaces for people to create and share web horror and pasta, and to that effect, we have made a forum. We made the Vault Imaginary to facilitate horror writing without the arbitrary restrictions of no sleep, a place where people can create collaborative works like the old school Slenderman thread, where you can give trailheads for your ARG, promote your web series, share horror art and comics, pasta readings, anything and everything digital horror. We hope you can join us there at VaultI, that's V-A-U-L-T-I dot boards dot net, and we'll have a link in the description for you as well. Now, back to Penpal. In Footsteps, the narrator begins by telling a story about a strange incident from when he was six years old and woke up in the middle of the woods with no explanation. There was a deflated pool float nearby, and despite the dirt and thorns, he was perfectly clean and intact. When he got home, all the lights were on. His mother was looking for him and reveals that when he disappeared, there was a note left on his pillow saying he was unhappy and was running away, which the narrator didn't remember writing. The follow-up is Balloons, which goes even further back in time than Footsteps. When he was five years old, the narrator did a balloon project through school, where the children would write a note and attach it to a balloon with a picture of themselves and send the balloons out. People in town would find them and keep up a loose correspondence with the children. The narrator sent his with a dollar bill labeled four stamps. When the other children got their letters, the narrator never received one. Even when his pen pal sent an envelope back to the school, it contained no written letter or return address, only a single, out-of-focus photograph. He continued receiving pictures for the rest of the year, but stopped looking at them. He took home 50 pictures by the end of the school year and stashed them in his desk at home. That summer, he and his best friend, Josh, decided to set up a snow cone stand in the narrator's neighborhood to make money. When they counted their money one day, they found the four stamps bill the narrator had sent months ago. The narrator took his photos out and began to show Josh before they got bored and decided to go play in the ditch. While playing, they heard rustling and strange mechanical noises and headed back inside, spooked. The narrator revisited the photos that night and realized he was in every single picture in some way. He showed his mother, who called the police. Frightened and sure that he was in trouble, the narrator fidgeted with the mail until he pulled out another photo, this time of himself and Josh playing in the ditch the day before. His mother broke down in tears as she explained that she was calling the police because the letters had no postmark. In the longest story so far, Boxes, the narrator tells the story of how he got his pet cat, Boxes, right before the start of kindergarten. Boxes was meant to be an indoor cat, but would occasionally escape and make his way into the crawl space under the house. While they were moving out, as a result of the story told in balloons, Boxes crawled under the house again and had to be rescued by the narrator's mother, who came out shaken. She rushed the move more than a week ahead of schedule. Over the years, the narrator stayed best friends with Josh despite moving away and going to different schools, and used a set of walkie-talkies to stay in contact across town. When he was ten, Boxes went missing. The narrator convinced himself that Boxes went back to the old house where he had grown up, but his mother had told him explicitly never to go back there. They decided to sneak out and look for Boxes that night. 
They took a shortcut through the woods where the narrator had woken up years before, at Josh's insistence. They even found the old deflated pool toy. There was also a deep hole in the ground nearby, which hadn't been there before. The house was in disrepair when the boys arrived, and the narrator realized that even though he was told not to go and bother the new owners, there never had been new owners at all. The narrator had to crawl under the house to find Box's hiding space. Meanwhile, Josh snuck into the house itself. He found that the old clothes left behind in the move were hanging up in the closet as though they were ready to be worn. Below, the narrator found a cubby with a blanket and cat food, which he thought was set up for boxes to keep him from escaping into the neighborhood. Josh reported that the walls are covered in Polaroid pictures of the narrator, shortly before cutting off. Someone was in the house. They hunkered down and waited, the narrator trapped in the crawl space, while the stranger moved around above him. Josh moved the board and they both ran out, but not before the stranger took Josh's picture. In the confusion, Josh dropped his walkie-talkie, and they left it behind. The narrator breaks from the narrative to say that when he told the story to his mother recently, she broke down and told him that she had never put that blanket under the house for boxes. He adds for us what he neglected to tell her. That later that day, after getting home, he heard boxes meowing, and excitedly raced under his bed where the sound was coming from, only to find that his cries were coming from the walkie-talkie. Uh, before we jump into, um... Yeah, I was gonna be like, hey, how was your break? Yeah, my break was was good. I'm in Australia now. Yeah. You guys might be able to hear um, that my audio sounds like shit. Uh, <laughs> because it's very it's echoey. Okay. Um, it's happening to be good I Australia. don't have a good recording space. <laughs> Yeah, you, it's 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 like a legal thing here. <laughs> no, it's um, I don't have like a good recording space yet, so I'm just like out in like the living room, and it's like the ceilings are really high, so it's like echoey in here. I I'm gonna I'm gonna get something sorted out sooner or later. Um, but for right now, my my audio is gonna sound kind of bad. <laughs> and also, there's fucking construction going on in my in my neighborhood constantly. So, if you hear banging noises or, like, drill noises, no, you don't. <laughs> it's good for you. <laughs> it's unnatural to hear studio audio all the time. Need enrichment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, should be, we should be having to hear bad audio more often. <laughs> it's like seeing celebrities without makeup. You, you need it in your life. I was watching this, um... The, the like Ro Ramden Mr. Beast video mm-hmm. um where she was where she was talking about the authenticity problem where like Oh I should watch that aspects of his production are intentionally lo fi in order to create a, a a sense of visual authenticity and like we're not doing that. We just suck. We have no money. We can't <laughs> like afford equipment. <laughs> you can pretend like we are though, so you can feel like you're a part of like an uber elite crowd who's doing fakey lo-fi <laughs> if that would make you feel better no no uh, no yeah we're intentionally crafting this actually to to lure you in to like uh like a false sense of, of parasociality or whatever <laughs> yeah it's our it's our full master plan our marketing strategy <laughs> i think if we wanted to endear ourselves to people we'd be less annoying <laughs> it's a part of Listen, it's it's also part of the branding. <laughs> anyway, I guess let's jump into into pen pal. Yay! Proper. 
first, because there's a lot to, this is sort of a break in, in format for us to be doing longer form stories like this and doing mm-hmm. stories in multiple parts. And that's what this whole, like, we, we, we talked about, you know, we had this sort of arbitrary break where we're like, well, all that stuff that we already recorded, that's season one, and this is season two. And kind of the way that we're denoting that is that this quote-unquote season is going to be entirely longer stories that we're doing in multiple parts so like we're starting with pen pal which is the shortest of all of the ones that we have mm-hmm. and we're going to be doing it in two but so I, I'm, I'm not sure how we should tackle it ah, i guess like how start it yeah well i'm imagining we're in chairs for this one how were you, how were you picturing us before? I was sitting in a chair last season. I mean, like like serious chairs, like two <laughs> arms instead of like a a school situation. Well, I was in a chair with arms. Okay, well, fancy. I'm on the sofa now. Oh, I'm also on a sofa right now. Imagine that instead. Like, cause we discussed how it'd be like this would be like how a book club is normally done, like, by chapter and stuff. And it's going to be difficult because we both know the story and we did take the story in three (laughs) parts. So do we could do, like, by chapter our notes and thoughts during it and then do, like, an overhead after we're done? Yeah, like, the, like, the first note that I, that I have, I remember taking it after reading, like, less than the first whole paragraph I, I just, mm-hmm. like, had to come over and, and, and make a note immediately. J- like, just reading that small snippet at the beginning made me th- think about how influential Pen Pal was mm-hmm. on my style as, like, a like a horror writer. Because this voice is, like, exactly in the right place mm-hmm. for me. It's not overly flowery or pretentious, but it's not overly spare either. Mm-hmm. It, it gives really solid imagery and uh, attempts a, a literary style without going over the top with it or going into the sort of like, I'm telling a scary story mm-hmm. kind of voice. It feels very much like a person telling you a story if that person also has this sort of literary impulse. Mm Mm-hmm. I know Pen Pal is, like, one of the, like, the big ones that, like, you cite as, like, inspiration for your stuff and, like, something that influenced you. So that, like, that's exciting. I also have have a really similar note at the start for it, too, that very similar to like episode one, season one from the Creepy Pasta Book Club, um, <laughs> man where it starts with like green text and like gets dropped. I have that note where it starts like really like familiar, and then like it's like we get dropped into the story, and it does have that like that middle ground of like he's he they they are still like sharing the story with us, but it's also like you are now in a story. You are in a story situation. Yeah. It it doesn't have that sort of, like, campfire tale vibe that Goatman does, but it's... Yes, it's a different vibe altogether. It's similar in certain ways because of the... Like, yeah, yeah, the, the familiarity 
that he that he takes to the audience. It is aware that it is telling a story, which is not uncommon mm-hmm. on Reddit and, and, and in terms of, like, no sleep. Because this was originally posted to no sleep. Yeah. In, when was this posted? Like, 2011. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, over the years, a particular style has developed where, like, the authorial voice of the narrator of a typical no sleep kind of fades into the background. The narrator is more just, like, a conduit for the story to be told and, like, to happen to instead of being, like, both a character and a presence that is willingly telling you a story. Like, a a character that takes on the duties of an author. Partly because I I, I think Pen Pal is set in the past. Yeah. Rather than being, like, a recent event, which is usually how stories on No Sleep are framed. Yeah. Also, like, literature inclined, but, like, it's like this for a reason. It's not just, like, this guy showing his chops off, which is, like, what happens on No Sleep. <laughs> it's, like... It's, it's like, memoir-style writing, almost. Yeah, memoir-style. That's really good. It's, like, he's relaying these things on No Sleep, which is, like, a paranormal space. But, like, instead of going to, like, the easy, like, paranormal explanation, he doesn't. And, like, we get the understanding that there's, like, he's a little aware that it's not paranormal and there's more to it. And we get that conveyed through the fact that he's telling it in this way. Aside from the the strangeness of the events of footsteps, mm-hmm. he 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 doesn't do much to ever like imply that something paranormal could have happened with that. It was just weird. It's like because this is like the height like glitched in the Matrix stories, so you could easily have been like. <laughs> oh yeah, this weird thing happened to me, glitched in the Matrix sort of thing, and then, like, keep going to the rest of the story. But he specifically doesn't, and it feels like, along with the way, the style he's, like, doing the story in, it feels, like, intentional that you, like, you get this, like, shorthand, like, it's not because I'm telling it in this way. And I think also because of how reserved the narrator is with his own emotions, Mm -hmm. other than describing how he felt at the time, because he's he's talking about something that happened to him, especially in, in, in the first two parts. Stuff when he was like six, five. Yeah, yeah, stuff that happened to him when he was five, six years old, ten in boxes, like, he's he's described, and, and he is presumably like an adult man, he's moved out, and, and, and he is talking about stuff from his early childhood. It's really, it's a really appropriate way to do it. Like, people always ham it up, like, it's like, like, I guess you can be shooken, but, like, you have to have, like, a, you can't just, like, post raw, like, I'm shaking and crying and throwing up right now because <laughs> I have this memory. Like, you, like, introduce people to, like, the memory worldscape before we feel like that's, you know, otherwise it's going to be yeah. too much. Corny, yeah. It also sort of doesn't overstay its welcome in terms of the actual scares themselves. Like, especially in the first three parts, there is a threat. There is, like, a clear and present threat that the Mm -hmm. narrator, as a child, kind of didn't understand very much. Yeah. But it it sort of comes across as, like, it's, 
it's not melodramatic. It just yeah, feels good. like, it, it just feels like, wouldn't it be fucked up if this happened to you? Like, we're entering a space where we're pretending to not know. It's, we're like, we're not trying to talk beyond what happened the first three ones, even though we, like, know. Yes. <laughs> so we're, we're roleplay with us, LARP with us. As you go on reading it, it is very good at bringing up those sort of book club questions, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, like making you wonder, like, about the sequence of events and what's going to happen next. Because, oh, that's another thing that I, that I noted, is that this story has an amazing sense of causality. Yeah. And, and, and because it is written, rather than being written strictly as a horror story, it is mm-hmm. written as a mystery, which lends so much to it. Because, like, that's also probably another reason why I love it so mm-hmm. much, because I fucking love mystery stories. I, I, I grew up reading a lot of mystery. If, if you can pull off a solid mystery structure Mm -hmm. i will just love your story like automatically (laughs) and like a lot and like a lot of horror is like dread instead of like things that aren't dread (laughs) if you figure it out ahead of time like in a mystery it's like the author's gonna get there when the author gets there so there's no like relief for the thing you have, that you know it's coming because it's a story that takes place like soundly in the past. Yeah. To bring up like a pop cultural referent that people are talking about a lot right now, the big thing on my dashboard is Andor. And I haven't watched it because I don't care about Star Wars at all. Like the with the restrictions of a prequel story, it means that everyone already knows how the story is going to end. So you have to work that much harder to make the actual content of that story compelling. the The Game of Thrones problem, I guess, is mm-hmm. avoided, where like a lot of like like especially now, um, but but it was you know it was definitely starting back yeah. in in this like twenty eleven era where like the the idea of like fiction that is entirely dependent on the audience feeling the stakes of or or like Walking Dead yeah Walking that's Dead good. was about to blow up in 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 2011 like when did it come out like 20 I, I think it came out in 2011 if not 2012 that sounds believable I believe you and 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 that was the big draw for a lot of people of Walking Dead that would then carry over into the hype for the HBO Game of Thrones yeah. was like, who's going to die? Who are you going to root for? Is your fave going to bite it? Like th- that that kind of, that style of engagement mm-hmm. where like that is avoided in a story that takes place from a point where you know the main character at least is going to be all right because he is describing something that happened a very long time ago and is not showing any signs of threatening him now. Yeah, he has to be alive to be telling the story. Yeah, which is like that's like one of the no sleep rules, but like there's there's you ho- you hope that he's alive to tell the story. <laughs> like there's there's ways of of getting around it and mm-hmm. creating like present danger threat. Like thinking about we talked about Cabin's story that. That is a story where, like, the big plot starter 
takes place in the past and, mm-hmm. and, and it is a story that's constantly looking towards Faye's past. Yeah, yeah. While the the threat and, and the physical like body of the story mm-hmm. is taking place in the present with the fucking the asshole yeah, yeah, yeah. getting menaced by <laughs> my husband. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, like, sometimes pe- sometimes in these stories when people, like, do, like, this happened in the past, what I mean by they're, they're alive is, like, sometimes, like, and then I was murdered in, in their story <laughs> is, like, an old school trope around, I guess old school is yeah. weird, just, like, a thing you'd see around this time when people try to be, like, more story-y with their creepypastas instead of just like <laughs> I'm telling you a thing that happened on the on a forum or whatever like people didn't get like you have to be like alive to be writing this and posting this online like you don't have to be for every single thing unless you're <laughs> but like you know it just shows like not it wasn't being thought about like how the yeah. story is going to be received which says something to like the quality of the story that you're going to be reading yeah, like, like the thing that creates the stakes for us in this story is not, like, whether or not characters are going to live, but about, like, because we see something horrible happening to a child. Yeah. Like, that creates an instant anxiety for most people as as readers, either because, like, you are, like, an adult who is like, oh god, I don't want something horrible to happen to a child yeah. because, like, I'm an adult and I know that ch- children are helpless. Yeah. <laughs> or because, like, you are a young person and you're close enough to your childhood where, like, I I, I was... If this came out in 2011, I, I probably read it around that time. I would have been, like, 15, mm-hmm. maybe 16 if it was, like, 2012. I, I could still, you know, put myself in, in the shoes of a, of a young child and, yeah. and and thinking about like how it felt to be that sort of like helpless mm-hmm. to the to the world around you yeah like i feel okay there's like stuff in the story where i made like anecdotal notes i feel like the story really invites you to do that yeah, to think about your own childhood yeah. in comparison to this. And like, hey. I, I also did that. Like, <gasps> I, like, I was thinking about my childhood again. It's totally intentional. Like, because then, then you drop yourself down into that kind of, like, I remember being this vulnerable or whatever because I'm being invited to reflect on my own childhood. And it's like, because it's not, like, hyper, it's, like, not, like, there are ghosts in my house or whatever. Like, <laughs> ghosts in your house is a good premise, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Can you reflect back on your own childhood and, like, was something off about it? I think is what the story invites you to do in the first, like, three parts. Because he does have that lead-in of, like, which, like, that's my least favorite part, I think, of the whole segment that we read. The part where he's like, oh, I talked to my mom about it, and she mentioned some stuff that I'd yeah. totally forgotten about. And it's like, that kind of sucks like that, that that's a really inelegant way of leading into the rest of the story but you wanted to create a whole series branching out from this because it got really good reception i understand that yeah. but like, like, it's like the, the lead through could be better because it also makes the mom feel a little out of character because later yeah. she has like different she's like 
like she she's less abrasive than the the character he presents there and maybe like you could like swing that he makes that part up because he knows exactly the story he's telling and he didn't need to be reminded is my (laughs) was my read of that yeah like i i i think that is an interpretation that that you can have i i I think at least at this point because because there's Based on the later stuff, I, I I do think it makes sense for this to have discovery aspects to it mm, for that's true. the narrator, because there is information that he doesn't know. But like here, at least, there's a bit of sort of foreshadowing in in this part. Like having having read the whole story many many times, mm-hmm. like I I sort of didn't pick up on it, and I don't want to discuss it right now for any of you guys who haven't like finished the story. That hasn't yet. happened yet. Oh. So definitely remember, because I want to know what, what you were like, oh, about doing this reading. It really makes it feel different, like, when you're doing it to, like, comb it over and think about the stuff. Also because, like, I, I've, I've only actually read it with my eyes a couple times. Usually I listen to it. Like, that's how I originally got it. I think people who read it do a, a big disservice, because they do it, like, they deliver a lot of stuff <laughs> hysterically, and, like, they comb over a lot with the finer, like, tone wise they're like incorrect with some of the deliveries when it's clearly like <laughs> and which muddies the story a bit because like because i was like cleaning and stuff so i was like oh i'm gonna put this on the background to be extra immersed and i was like oh i can't this is incorrectly read i can't do this <laughs> i i haven't uh, listened to it in quite a while I, I was just like thinking about as i as i read it with my eyes mm-hmm. like there's also formatting problems, yeah. which really, really bugged me. And, like, they kind of hadn't before, but they do now. Like, the thing with the the walkie-talkie dialogue. It, instead of putting it in at. quotes, it is all written in italics. Yeah. And it's like, girl, you can't do that. Like, you know? It was a different time. <laughs> Fucking Wild West. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know why people, like, people used to do that. I think this was, like, briefly the time period that people used to do this with, like, thought and thinking instead of, like, which I guess can work sometimes. I don't know. People just were really into formatting at this time. I'm a, a proponent of people doing thoughts as, like, third-person narration. You can put a character's, like, thinky thoughts in next to the dialogue in italics. Yeah, that's fine. It was just people did people were doing a lot of stuff with like maybe maybe the forums all got like easy access code buttons instead of having to like <laughs> type it in on like manually. I'm worried I'm gonna say this wrong and look silly on the par- podcast, but I think this was also the time people were doing like Zaglo tech stuff. Zaglo? Zalgo? Zalgo, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think Zalgo came out in like two thousand six or something. Oh, pen pal feels so much older. I have no good. I have. I've said this before. I have a very like non firm <laughs> grasp on when things came out. I mean, like that's that's kind of a thing as as well. I think like like this this period of like older internet pasta content feels so much more compressed in my memory because I think just because a lot less stuff was coming out. Yes. Because, like, the space hadn't been, like, opened up to people yet in the way that it is now. 
Like, it wasn't an industry yet. Yeah. Also, like, the slowness of the internet. Like, some of the rules in No Sleep make more sense, because, like, when a thing would come out, people would do copycat. Well, it's all it's all very silly to try and gate, or gatekeep's a silly word for that, too. To, like, con- <laughs> control the flow. I meant, like, literally, like, to control the flow of a story, because people will get bored with it eventually, so, like, who cares? But like Yeah, it's like a time gating measure. Yeah, time gating. Time gating is what I meant. Because like the internet was like a different speed, so you would be stuck with like a hyper realistic Pikachu blood for like months <laughs> at a time. But now it moves so fast it doesn't matter. It's like it's just there to keep to create like aesthetic or whatever. Two thousand four is when this uh text creepy pop Zalgo? Yeah. Zalgo. Yeah. Yeah, Zalgo's old as shit. I don't know why I thought... Because I guess I think Pen Pal is older than it is. Because <laughs> I, I remember using Zalgo when I was, like, you know, like, on, on like, roleplay forums as a kid and stuff. Yeah, like, I don't... <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was... Is Zalgo even connected to, like, an actual story? Because I've never seen it. Yeah. I just know, like, the Zalgo text generator. No, it, it's, like... The text is named after the creepypasta. Okay. Because I've never seen anybody even talk about the story. <laughs> it, I, it's just like people people say Zalco in like in, in, in my experience to mean like the text generator or, or, or like the text style. I think it's a very similar dogscape situation. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, have, I don't remember the creepypasta. I know it like was circulating in junk, but I think it's just like... The, there's text and a creepypasta generated around it, but then, like, mm-hmm. the text acquired the name because it was used there. Like, this yeah. thing cometh is from the creepypasta, but the people were already using the spooky text for stuff. Hey, so, speaking of, of a creepypasta we're, we're not actually reading, but now the one we are, I know you had written, like, a lot of notes, so... One of the things that I one of the things that I noted in balloons is how solid the like time setting mm-hmm. of the story is. Like it's very grounded in the time and the place uh-huh. where the story is supposed to take place, and it's really good at working out little details of mm-hmm. stuff. It's like believable. Yeah, like like we we know that it's in like the the sort of like south of the USA because he mentions like running to Win Dixie mm-hmm. as a as 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 a kid and like and 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 we know that it's in like the early nineties when he would have been like you know five six years old because he mentions those Marvel trading cards. But also, but also, like the concept of pen pals in this way is very like nineties. I I was I have a story yeah. I wanted to share. We were at. When I was in my Catholic school, we were going to do a pen pals thing for mm-hmm. with other Catholic students in like Chile, <laughs> and we were like getting ready to do it. Like we had like met, we got all like paired up and we got like stationary and all that stuff. And then like the whole anthrax thing happened. What? Like the I don't know. Like the anthrax thing. I don't know what anthrax thing you're... T- like, was there an anthrax scare in the 90s? No, well, it was early 00s. Oh, I don't know where my phone went to look it up. I thought this would be common knowledge. Yeah, there was like a... <laughs> there was like a 
like uh I was hey in 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 2000 I was four so I'm it sorry. might be common knowledge but I was four <laughs> I'm sorry about you being four <laughs> um fuck I don't know where my phone I put it down for like two <laughs> seconds and now it's gone okay well Jenny you have to look up anthrax 2000s and people were like oh no well, uh, our nation's under attack, so we can never send send mail to people who are non-American ever again. And then we did do the pen pal thing. Okay, yeah, the two thousand and one anthrax attacks. Yeah, and it was right after nine eleven. Yeah, so, so that also yeah compounded the the whole the the paranoia. Yeah, so I didn't get a childhood pen pal exchange because people were patriotic or whatever. The 2001 anthrax attacks, also known as Amerithrax, occurred in the United States over the course of several weeks. Letters containing anthrax spores were mailed to several news media offices and to Democratic senators, uh, killing five people and infecting 17 others. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, like, like, I'm sure, like, I was aware of anthrax attacks having happened at some point mm-hmm. in history, but, like, I didn't realize, like, when or where or how like i knew in the u.s that that because people joke about sending anthrax to the mail and stuff like it's like a plot in a lot of like cop procedurals anymore yeah but like yeah so this thing like sets this in it like a like obviously he didn't know that there were gonna be anthrax attack well i guess it already happened so yeah he (laughs) did know so this this set um because it's not this is a fantasy story, a horror story reading. So he, <laughs> so he knew, like, he said this in the timeline that there was, like, a, a, a wall that this could not go past because, like, you wouldn't be able to do this past, like, the 90s, past, like, the... Well, well like, the, the the letters were entirely, like, within, like, a like a range of, like, a couple of towns. Yeah, I know, I'm just saying. Around sort of smallish like, town. Like, I, I, I would... Like, if he brought this up, like, passes, I'd be like, oh, that doesn't sound real, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think the real cultural shift that we, he would he would have had to contend with was, like, the, the post-9-11 paranoia. Yeah, that really. too. It's, it's both, I think. It's, like, the letters thing, because, like, people were, like, like, people were, like, really intense about that. But also, like, <laughs> setting things up in the air and stuff. And, like, but also, like, the yeah. nearness of a neighborhood. And this is, like, the very edge of, like, before, like, Stranger Danger got to, like, normies. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, like, this this was really, like, because in, like, the early 90s, or, like, late 80s to, to early 90s, yeah. this was really, like, the turning point of Stranger Danger, Reagan propaganda, and yeah. AIDS and stuff, like, yeah. where where this was, like, really breaking through the, the, like, cultural consciousness. Yeah, so, like, if he's, like, in a small... But I, I think probably before, like, the 24-hour news cycle. That too, yeah. So this is, like, this is, like, the last possible year that this kind of thing could even happen. Like, realistically, in America. Like, you can make up a fantasy situation where it happens. And and, and this is essentially a kind of... Like, th- this is literally a stranger danger yes, story. Yeah, yeah. Spoilers. But it also feels like... <laughs> I mean, it's not it's spoilers. Not spoilers. I'm We've seen the man. Yeah. Also, <laughs> hey, this is also like peak. Like people are living in my walls. Creepypasta era. So it's kind of fun <laughs> that it's like this. Like 
well put together because a lot of it is just like what if there was a homeless person what if you got so scared <laughs> to bounce off like what if there's a homeless person you got so so scared the fact that he presents it as we were moving into an affluent like neighborhood and we were visibly yes. poor it creates like this sense of like right away predation like there is this poor boy with like like less recourse for action and here's this person who is probably maybe from the neighborhood like who has the money to be like have this free time to be doing these things instead of like a random homeless person living in your walls it's 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 interesting to think about because like this story i don't think is intending to be it does not have an agenda Mm -hmm. with its with its message yeah, but you don't it feel does it. have kind of a, a political implication because of the fact that the story is entirely based around stranger danger mm-hmm. and the idea of like, you know, what if if you were a random child and you were doing things that a child does, mm-hmm. and because of that you were targeted by a predator who became so obsessed with you that he lived in your walls and killed your cat. Yeah. And stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's loaded. Like, anytime you do something like that, it's, like, loaded with, like, classism and stuff. And, like, ableism and things like that. Like, and it's unavoidable. And it's, like, how it's being handled. Yeah, and, and, and also the... We already know that the stalker is a man. And and that inherently brings yeah, oh, up too. the the images of gay pedophile stereotypes, but also like th- th- there was something I I read a, a while ago about like how how most pedophilic offenders mm-hmm. with young boys identify as straight and have no like attraction to adult men. And, and, and it's entirely about power and the fact that they can get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they don't, they don't see them as, like, people. They see them as, like, non-entities that they can, like, exert this power over. And, and, and that's one thing I will say is that, like, even though it is loaded, I don't feel like, even as the story goes on, that it dives into, and in, in, like, too much of an unsavory way into that sort of, like, gay pedophile. Yeah, that's why I didn't bring it up. Like, I, I kind of, it kind of, like, slipped my mind. But, like, you're, like, you're right, this would, <laughs> this, like, this would automatically feel like, oh, this is, a that kind of thing. But it feels more like someone just unwell who has, who's used to exerting this sort of power over people, you know? Yeah. And which is why, like, the classism thing stood out, like, as a higher point. But, like, you're right, it is also, like, treacherous to get there. Because, like, I'll put, I'll put, I'll, I'll write this down. Or maybe I won't, but I'll probably remember later. Because <laughs> um, it gets framed around something that happens later, so we can maybe bring that up more then. But that feels <laughs> less like the intent of the story and more just, like, an unavoidable thing in the story. Like, a culture, like, like... There's only so much you can, like, subvert and dance around before you have to, like, confront the stereotype of it. Yeah. The the core idea of it, like, you, you kind of can't have 
one without the other yeah. if you're telling a story like this. Yeah. Like, it's, it, yeah, like you said, it's, like, un- unavoidable. So, like, you can be as careful or, or as respectful, I guess, as possible, and it's, it's still always going to have a little bit of that, like, that sort of instinct uh-huh. for people reading it. Yeah. So it's, like, better to go in with, like, teeth and be nasty with it <laughs> over, like, being overly sensitive. Because, like, what's the point of that when you know you're dealing with this sort of topic? Yeah. It defeats the purpose in a lot of ways. Like, people are going to think of it yeah, in, any, regardless. In, in, in any case. You can't, like, PG your way out of something like that. <laughs> Do, do we want to talk about, like, we both mentioned having, like, anecdotes that we wrote down um, because of what the um, what the, the, the time setting mm-hmm. sort of uh, put in mind for us. Mm-hmm. Do we want to go by, like, part by part? Because I already got my balloons one out. Oh, yeah, I, I just had, like, one sort of um, thought that, that was also from, mm-hmm. from around balloons that I, that I wrote down um, that I was just thinking of. Because, like, one of the ways that you know that it was written before the 2000s, uh-huh. well before the 2000s, uh-huh. is, or, or, or that it's set before yeah, the 2000s, I should it's, say. It's fun, that we keep, it's fun that you can, like, easily be like, oh, yeah, this happened before. Like, no, it's a story that he made it post-2000. <laughs> but it feels so, like, it feels like a real memoir. It feels like a real thing from a real person's life. And that's, like, what makes it... Yeah, because it has a lot of authentic detail. The The fact that he could be like a five six year old who is just sort of like wandering around the neighborhood unsupervised Mm -hmm. setting up like a like a snow cone stand in the summer and stuff and and like talking about like you know going to the wind dixie and and getting like things from the from the machine yeah from the from the gumball machine or whatever yeah and and it's also tied into where he was living because Mm -hmm. he said he mentions like living in like being being like a poorer family that moved into more of an upscale mm-hmm. um, neighborhood in the sort of like poor part of the upscale neighborhood. Yeah, made me think about because I grew up mostly in like suburb suburbs. Mm-hmm. Like when people talk about the the Americana suburb experience, mm-hmm. like that's what I had for for a lot of my childhood because like. When, when I was very young, like, my family had, like, kind of a lot of money, mm-hmm. which we lost all of in um, the, the 2008 financial crash. Yeah. But so, like, for, for those, like, early parts of my life, we lived in a couple different places, but it was always in, like, exclusive suburbs. Like, um, upscale Where it was, cities. like, pure residential. You could not get to, like... A, like a fucking corner store for a couple miles. Oh, wow. Like. <laughs> this is the first suburb I've ever lived in. And, and, and like, they, they kind of suck in that way because, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's, it makes it hard to get places. Like, you, you often, like, live closer to other kids. Like, like, when you're a child, mm-hmm, I mean. Yeah. I remember basically because I, I was born in, in 96. Mm-hmm. So, like, very much past the, the sort of peak of Stranger Danger in the cultural consciousness, mm-hmm. where, where that was, like, a, a big, you know, thing that parents were, were yeah. worried about. I was, like, 
I was not allowed to like go places by myself without like a friend or an adult with me even like walking around the neighborhood I had to have an older kid with me there's other circumstances for why I was allowed to do this mostly you know yeah but also when I was that age like it was it just wasn't it was also like you could just do that on top of it (laughs) so like when you were that age you weren't like allowed to go do that unsupervised while I was like I could like walk my six-year-old self down to the corner store and like make purchases and leave yeah yeah and 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 it really changes how independent you're allowed to be Mm -hmm. when like the only way that I experienced stores as a kid was like being taken there by someone else and 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 that's the the way that like most like I think suburban kids experienced the store because, like, the suburb has a vested interest in separating its residents from public spaces. Lately, I've, I've seen, like, more discourse around third places um, that this reminds me of. Like, the way that, like, uh, like, the mall used to function as a social space for kids in the 80s, 90s, 2000s. And that's the closest thing that you have to that kind of social space. Because, like, the, the social project of the suburb has always been about isolation. It's like a dividing and conquering. And, and, and because it increases your dependence and your alienation. Where, like, you, you don't have community producers in, like, like you would in, in rural spaces, like your farmers, your artisans. And you also don't have the familiar urban communities like... The, the kids in your building or or the the family owned corner store down the block so you rely more heavily on major corporations to meet your needs which like and like so like people who are born completely post like strange danger who are like brought up in a suburb who like like if you that's if that's your upbringing and the first time you've experienced like independence is like the moment you hit 18 that's a different kind of like you know, like people going into the world like soft and new and stuff. Yeah, it's a very different experience. Yeah, versus like if you've been running errands since you were like five, in like the nineties <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, like like when I when I was a kid, I had friends who like I was not a very like independent child, but I had friends who like couldn't open a can of tuna. Oh by my god! Or like couldn't. <laughs> But then also, like, the when the financial crash happened, mm-hmm. like, I, I, I had to become much more independent. And then we moved back to back to New Jersey mm-hmm. and stayed with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was still, like, a suburban area. Yeah. But, but like, there was stuff, like, within walking distance of me, sort of, for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, was never home for two years. <laughs> I was... <laughs> you got You got wings. You got some walking stuff to do i think it's like yeah like the moment people get a chance to they often do take it like unless there's something like more deeply wrong going on like people want that sort (laughs) of independence and like back to the tuna can thing when i when i was older and lived in like more rural places but also like up in college you'd meet people who like didn't know like things didn't come from like box made stuff 
or people who didn't like I don't know. It's it's a really something we have to explain to like someone who in this like in their twenties that like you can just make a cake. You don't have to use a box kit or like Yeah. Or like food comes from several ingredients you can just buy yourself and it's not always like made by someone for you. Yeah, or like meat comes from an yeah. animal that people kill and like you can get a piece of meat raw. Yeah. I've I I've met so many people who have never cooked meat not because they're like vegetarians no, or whatever but because like, they have never had meat that was not like pre-cooked to throw in the microwave or the oven or something yeah like I, i've had i've met people who just like the freezer meat thing but also people who've never but like people who have like their food always cooked for them like someone else just always does it yeah so that it's like a similar mystery even if it's like fresh food like <laughs> like no people have to like butcher this thing people have to like make sure it's clean and stuff and it and it brings up sort of like any and and any sort of story that is about because this is a story about americana Mm -hmm. in in the way that a lot of the of the stories that we read in season one Mm -hmm. were about the internet because they were stories that like before the internet yeah, yeah, like, th- this This is this is a pre-internet story, so it's, it is about the thing that we had before the internet. Oh my gosh, yeah, and this presents, like, a really nice, like, he's, he's creating, like, a, a child who li- would live at this time, he's given us, like, a lot of key points, he's avoided, like, cliche lemonade stand, but we do get a stand in, the, <laughs> like, the front yard, which was, like, you know, that's a cliche American-y thingy. Yeah. We get, like, they, like, rolled around in, like, a ditch. Yeah, they, they played mud and, like, there's, like, the deflated pool toy. Yeah, it's so iconic. And, like, he also breaks a limb before school and gets a cast, which is, like... Yeah. Which, like, is a really, like, big, iconic thing in America for some reason. Like, there's a big fixation <laughs> on writing, like, about kids' cast stories in our media. And he, we get that too. We get the walkie-talkie thing, which is a big thing. We get like a bunch of references yeah. to like trading cards and like trading phenomenon in America, kids' toy stuff. And and it's it's about community mm-hmm. in like literally his his group in in kindergarten. Their theme is community. Mm-hmm. So so they have to do this this pen pal project. It, it it's sort of like the the Halloween thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. This thing that is attacking the narrator or, 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 or following the narrator is a product of the environment that the narrator lives in. Yeah. It is, it is, it is a product of his surroundings. It's, it, is, it is like a bad seed that is grown in this soil. Like, stuff like that is so, like, the suburban paranoia that, like, everyone outside your suburb is going to get you. And the fact that he acquires this, like, stalker as they move into the suburbia is, like, a big thing, I think. But it's also sort (laughs) of, like, because the stalker is presented in this way as a threat from within suburbia and not from, like, without, it's, like, (laughs) a moralistic take because, like, people move here because they feel safe, but, like, the people who move to, like, suburbs often move because they're cutting themselves off from, like, the greater city community. 
Like the the white flight phenomenon. Yeah. So like, what kind of caliber is a person who has sought isolation in the first place? Like, like you're not safe just because you moved here. Yeah. The the illusion of safety because like because the the urban environment is so like maligned mm-hmm. in our like so so much of of our horror that isn't rural horror specifically tends to be about like the and 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 also rural horror most rural horror right now is dog shit like absolute dog water most rural horror are written by by people in the city but they don't they don't live in the major cities they act like they're in the rural like no just because you live in um like you live in a major city in georgia doesn't mean you live in the rural mountains (laughs) i'm sorry you live in fucking atlanta I've I've never lived in like a real rural area myself, like Michigan, where I just moved out of. We're in an area that is sort of like suburban verging uh-huh. on rural, but it's 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 more just like d- dilapidated. Yeah, along. yeah, well, it's, yeah, like <laughs> it's unfortunately urban it's decay. Michigan. Yeah, it, it, not even urban. Like I like I wouldn't consider Michigan blighted. It's yeah, it's just Michigan. <laughs> Um, yeah, and just, like, and, like, why I speak about, like, rural stuff is, like, because, like, I lived in, like, a village with, like, 300 people, and then, like, <laughs> a, a town with, like, a thousand people for a few years yeah. of my life, respectively, and it's just, like, I don't know, appropriative seems like an incorrect word, but it's, like, voyeuristic, it's, like, poverty voyeuristic from people who say who do these rural stories and live in, like, relatively big, if, like, economically depressed cities. Like, man, that sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're, like, one step away from doing, like, albino hillbillies. Like, <laughs> it's not highbrow just because you add, like, a lot of lighting and filter to it or, like, are writing it in, like, the accelerated, like, weird job style. You're just being janky. These yeah. aren't your stories to tell. People have a certain idea about what what people from certain parts of the country look and mm-hmm. act like. Mm-hmm. And they are just, like, willing to be loudly ignorant yeah. about it. Like, it's also, like, people, like, rely on cliches a lot without realizing they're doing it when they do stuff like that, too. Yeah. And, like, Pen Pals feels really, like, affluent um, suburb space, but also doesn't seem like, it's not, like, he doesn't, it's not an inner city, it's not, like, a deep city. Yeah. It's, like, uh, kind of, like, 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 the space in Michigan is kind of, like, I imagine where it is, but, like, south <laughs> and, like, not blighted by. Oh, yeah, 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 because you've been to, to the area where yeah. I live. Like, or lived. Yeah, and let me say, I've also lived in, like, really blighted american cities so like it wasn't really (laughs) shocking or anything it was really nice but like or like comparatively nice you know it's still like an icky like i don't know i mean i i I didn't take you like when you came to visit me there's some bad places in downtown like unfortunately yeah i think probably be comparable to erie to be honest it's (laughs) like I, i i i went to you know university in like, there, there's a lot of places that I'm like, 
I, I have relatives who are like, oh, like I, I, I wouldn't even drive into. Oh yeah, like, that sucks. Just don't, just don't leave your car doors unlocked. You're fine. Like, don't be a baby. It's, it's not safe for residents because of the atrocities. Yeah, yeah. Like you're, like you're systematically being attacked. Like, yeah. But you don't live there. You're driving through. You don't drive like a like a nice enough truck <laughs> also, for them yeah. to for them to want to fucking. That's really arrogant of you. You have to have a car people are on a strip. Loser. <laughs> the only people stealing my hubcaps are the fucking people at the at the um at the fucking at the auto place. Whenever we take it to get fucking get the get the engine checked and stuff, a, a, another fucking hubcap goes missing. It's it like. It, they're selling it for <laughs> metal prices. And you're like, oh, it's a fucking choice hubcap. It's not even the auto place. It's like it's it's the it's the place where my mom actually works. Uh-huh. So that's why I can call them lazy because I fucking worked with them before. <laughs> like know, I used to work there. You know insider knowledge about their work ethic. <laughs> They're a bunch of pricks. <laughs> Which you know, I think it's probably a valuable trait to have if you're at a car dealership. You want the whole package. People go there to get like fin domed and stuff. <laughs> hey so pen pal <laughs> it 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 wouldn't be it wouldn't be the book club if we didn't get off on like a wild tangent talking about what the fuck ever for like 20 minutes i think it's valuable to the story the, the, the story yeah the, the the story is the story is inviting us to do that <laughs> welcome that for us to have done that <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of of focus on on boxes in my in my notes. Mm-hmm. I think because I just sort of got like pulled in was yeah, just like reading it. Vibing like, at the point. I, I pulled out one quote that I really liked, mm-hmm. which was um from a distance I could see my old climbing tree, and as my mind raced the steps of causality backward, I realized that I wouldn't be back here this night if that tree hadn't grown. And I was briefly in awe of how all events were like that. Oh my god, yeah. That's like a codex Codex, that seems like a silly word to use, but that seems like a codex for the whole story, like a, like a, th- a <laughs> statement thesis, like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really strong. Like, that's the other thing I, that I, I, I noted down, that I was like, this is, like, th- this is only halfway through the story, like, mm-hmm. a, like a, a little less than halfway, but this is why Pen Pal affects me yeah. so much, because it is a story about and inevitability oh. and how like he because he is he is like narrativizing mm-hmm. these events he is he is creating a story out of them that, that's one thing I, I i wrote down that i want to like read uh-huh. out in in oh, full because oh, oh, yes. this is what i was thinking about that there is a storytelling ethos recently that leans towards extraneous detail and fluff and like the this sort of idea of like real life authenticity Mm -hmm. of how sometimes shit just like happens Mm -hmm. but that i think that is fundamentally wrong-headed about what storytelling does Mm -hmm. and is for because a story is inherently inauthentic because it is narrative and good narratives that tell good stories are tailored yes and we can tell there's stuff going on in the narrator's life outside of the story that he's telling but the purpose of pen pal is to tell us a mystery story 
about things that happened in this person's life. Mm -hmm. So everything in the story serves that narrative Mm -hmm. in some way to create atmosphere, to foreshadow something, to like build themes or resonance. Mm -hmm. Like nothing is in here that doesn't do something meaningful. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a lesson that more authors need to take Mm -hmm. from mystery fiction. Mm -hmm. Because that that, that, that is what I think separates mystery from a lot of other genres is the tightness of causality of mystery because mysteries do not function unless you maintain that through line Mm -hmm. of causality i i agree with like that completely i think like the like mumblecore whatever the written version of that is or whatever is really like (laughs) i just call it mumblecore yeah like you can do that but you have to also have foundational skills first like, mm-hmm. Pen Pals would be a weaker story if there was a lot of, like, divergence into here and there and, like, non-sequiturs. Yeah. Like, the, does, the the appeal of stream of consciousness a lo- to a lot of writers is, like, the lowered bar. It's, like, the free verse. It's, like... <laughs> and, like, that's fine, but the reason why a lot of those things resonate with people is because the person already has foundational skills that they're now growing on and developing their own voice from if you don't understand if you don't know how to like trim if you don't know like the function of the fluff people aren't going to be into your thing as you're as you're into it it's not funny or quirky or interesting or whatever to have a bunch of stuff in between that has no purpose because the reader's going to feel frustrated they're going to feel like their time was wasted they're going to be confused. It's going to muddy your story. You know what I was thinking of, actually, when I was writing that note? Oh, what? Homestuck. Yeah. Because that, that is, like, Homestuck is is really interested in causality, but it is mm-hmm. also very interested in horseshit. It's all, and there is no that, distinction made between, between like, what is horseshit and what is important valuable to the chronology of the story because everything is potentially yeah everything's important we were talking recently about it and it's like you don't know when when a bit is a bit that's goofing about for a really long time because like in 200 pages that thing you kind of like glazed over is now like vital lore that you need to understand (laughs) to understand like entire hundreds of pages more and like, yeah. oh, you fucked up, now you have to go back and look at stuff. And that's also a thing that's compounded by, like, the length of the yeah. thing. Where, like, I don't understand why so many writers pat themselves on the back for writing sheer word count. Uh-huh. And this is hey. not just me being bitter as someone who writes slowly and doesn't write a lot, because I write very laconic. I'm, I'm not interested in writing as many words as possible because I believe deeply in the idea that there is, like, a right way Mm -hmm. of saying the thing and that you should only use that many words to say it. You should Mm -hmm. never say more. You should try not to say less. Mm -hmm. Like, just right. Like, okay, we are sitting in our the, the club room right now Doing NaNoWriMo. Mind Palace. Uh, our Mind Palace, where it's a, where I envision us in, like, the sitting room, like, that room in a library where they have, they keep for, like, meetings and storage is where we're at right <laughs> now. And it's, like, NaNoWriMo season right now. 
Yeah. We're, we're recording this dead in the middle of November. Yeah, so, like, it's sort of like this writing culture that already existed before this, obviously, but, like, that really, like, grew from that kind of, like, culture around it. I don't know, it's like a production, it's like, like, people don't know what they're doing with their words, like, you'll get people who are like, I wrote 10,000 words today, but, like, was it of substance? Yeah, and, and, and people will say, like, well, that's not the point of NaNoWriMo, it's not to, it's not to write 50,000 plus good words, it's, well, it's to write 50,000 words. Yeah, and that's a waste of time, like, I, I, I think a lot of it goes to Stephen King, because there's a mm-hmm. lot of authors that are very, very, very prolific, yeah. and write very quickly and publish books at the fucking speed of light, but a lot of them, like James Patterson, just uses uh-huh. ghostwriters, he doesn't actually yeah. write anything himself. Stephen King writes like a fucking maniac, yeah. but most of what he writes is, <laughs> it's bad, like it's not it's bad, good, it's like yeah. unreadable. Like, because he, he, he doesn't self-edit, he does not yeah. have a filter, he just I mean, like, writes down what he is thinking and he can get away with that because he has money like and like some of his stuff does work and does resonate like i still really like Mm -hmm. carrie a lot if you write a lot some of it's gonna be good eventually (laughs) i guess is the thesis but yeah it's like it's 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 monkey's typewriters yeah but like hey what if you like developed your craft instead of like hoping to bang (laughs) out a good one just saying. <laughs> if you were a wood carver, you wouldn't be like, I got in 10,000 wood chips today. You'd be like, oh, I finished some pieces today. Like, <laughs> Because Stephen King is the model for a successful mainstream author, mm-hmm. everybody wants to be Stephen King. Everybody wants to, you know, put out the 200,000 word epic. I don't think the world can handle more than one Stephen King. It's <laughs> alarming. But also, I guess the, the also like there's the YA thing where a lot of the YA books are just yeah. terminally long. So the Stephen Kings <laughs> for like the guys and like. Well, I mean, like because because Stephen King is is sort of like the blueprint, and then and then it it it, it expands out into like. I was about to make a joke about Harry Potter, um, and, and, and about how, how those books got, like, terminally fucking long, and, and how I think that is also, like, another, another symptom. Like, that plus Twilight, which were also yeah fucking long books. That's what I was gonna say, like, Twilight is, like, the gold standard, like, people don't really think about it as that, like, but, like, maybe in the recent times people are like, Twilight's my goal, but, like, Twilight's, like, or, what are the fucking, those, like, city like supernatural fey books like oh city of the, the cassandra clare books yeah i think that's people's like gold standards recently for like word countage and word volume yeah i i never even touched those books because they looked like trash to me even yeah. in middle school <laughs> i was also like i was i was like an edgy kid who was like too good for mainstream literature and i would only read weird adult books i felt like that was good for you <laughs> I mean, probably, because I'm not still reading YA <laughs> as, like, a 27 yeah. adult, so. Sort of adjacent to that and sort of adjacent to other stuff that we have been talking mm-hmm. about, the theme running through this of, like, mm-hmm. the way that parents try to 
protect their protect their children from knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that that's another one of those things that really like rings true in a mm-hmm. in like rings true but like to the extreme where it's almost exaggerated where like this woman yeah. never told her child that there was a man living under their house. There's like a kind of like a sense of embarrassment that this ha- that she had like allowed this to happen. I mean, this yeah. note early on is sort of like we know she's a single mother, right? And we know like she has custody, like full custody of her son. We don't get, really get mentioned of like, yeah, I I don't think the father ever gets mentioned. Yeah, and he has a bunk bed and stuff, which like that's cool. Like she's a nice mom, but like is like more to that. Like there's a lot of stuff that like we don't get touched on, and it feels like the reason she doesn't share this with, like, like, she doesn't, like, do more reasonable actions is that maybe there's, like, a, like, she has stuff that happened that she's, like, embarrassed about. Like, is there, like, like, the fact that he does have a bunk bed, the fact that they did move already in this way. Like, maybe he has, like, a sibling he doesn't remember. Maybe there is, like, weird dad stuff, and then she assumed it was that first, but because- and that's why she, like, held off for so long. Like, there's unsaid, like, mom stuff that you can draw connections to that feels like the reason she acted the way she did was because of, like, pre-existing stuff. I feel like there's definitely unspoken stuff going on with the narrator's mom. Mm -hmm. I don't think I brought it to to that kind of conclusion, Mm -hmm. where it was, like, that she was hiding this because there's something in her past that she's trying to hide from him that is potentially related to this. Mm -hmm. So much as, like, the, the way parents are, I guess, made to feel like failures. Yeah, that's for good. For being single single parents or for like being poor while trying to raise a child mm-hmm. or for like if anything ever happens to your kid because like because of like the way the the nuclear family is supposed mm-hmm. to work. Yeah. Is that, like the child is your sole responsibility. He really sets the mom up to be like a character who fits like all these like like, she's not the kind of mom people want to move in in a suburb in, like, a fantasy American dream sort of thing. And and she seems like a, like a nice person. It's cool, like, the dichotomy of, like, she's, like, a good mom from what we see. Like, especially, like, she's, like, attentive and caring. And then we get, like, like, she doesn't check off the, like, the suburb check boxes of like what a mom should be according to people who live like a white picket suburb you know (laughs) yeah and like the south and stuff yeah and 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 even though she does try to be attentive especially after she finds out about what is what is going on like when when Mm -hmm. they get the photos and stuff Mm mm-hmm or like, or like to to boxes. Like when she goes under there and sees that someone is living under their porch, she's like, "Oh, we gotta go right now." Like she 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 reacts in in sensible ways to protect her her kid. Mm-hmm. But th- there's also a lot of like, like like the way that adults kind of don't pay attention to what kids are saying. 
mm-hmm. like like the part in balloons where he's like trying to tell her about the project, and she's like like uh huh, that's nice, sweetie. Yeah. Until she realizes that's that's it, it, it's something actually serious. But then, mm-hmm. even when she does jump into that sort of protection mode, she ends up making it worse because mm-hmm. she is withholding information from him that if he knew it he would protect himself more. Yeah. We also get this really early on, too, is that she he brings up, like, hey, I'm hearing, like, footsteps, and, but, like, he frames it, and, like, because he doesn't understand what he's hearing because he's, like, six, too, and, like, her instinct isn't being, like, oh, my child is telling the truth, literally, is to, like, baby him, like, to humor him, <laughs> like, to do the ear thing and stuff, instead of being, like, wow, this is, like, a thing I should maybe be more concerned about it reminds me a lot of do you remember there was a post that was going around for a while that was like oh i didn't believe my child that there was an opossum in the room and here's the opossum (laughs) i do not remember but like i can i can imagine it definitely i'm gonna cite it and we're excited like (laughs) down in the opossum post but yeah and it's not like it's not neglectful, and it's not even necessarily irresponsible, because, no. like, you know, kids do say the darndest things, as they say. Yeah, but, like, like <laughs> you can't, like, hyper-react to everything a child says, because then you, like, teach them anxiety methods that are, like, inappropriate <laughs> to, like, you know? But then also, like, it is it is a good lesson to, like, if, like, to, to, to at least be listening and, mm-hmm. like, acknowledging what your child is saying, like, when you mm-hmm. can. Or, like, to, to, yeah. to acknowledge what a child is saying. Like, yeah. if, if, if you're a, a non-parent adult who is, like, in an authority position, like, there are the hey, horrors. hey, the teacher was checking the pictures. Yeah, and, like, it was like, well, this is weird, well, not my job, bye. Like, yeah. hey, get back here. <laughs> yeah, it was just, like, I guess not paying attention to the fact that some of them really clearly had this child in the picture because it was just like, oh, these are weird pictures that this kid is... And, like, the fact that this kid is continuing to receive 50 letters, there is, like, an adult here who should have been able to spot something was wrong. You know, he mentions it all in Pen Pal. (laughs) Like, like, teachers are often, like, major... enablers for like this kind of thing because they just like clock out which is like hey or, or major enablers for like abuse yeah in, yeah yeah that's general. what i mean not this specific kind of thing no no yeah i mean yeah <laughs> like this is like this is like in the story but like in real life like but the fact that this teacher did think about like the risk factor even like this is like the early 90s or whatever time it is and it's like pen pals and stuff this seems like a fun thing like, I think, like, a responsible person would be like, hold up now. <laughs> what are the <laughs> negatives of this outcome, even though we're, like... Because, like, we're still past, like, the 70s and the six Like, when Stranger Danger would have been, like, circulated among this teacher's age group. And, like, I think even common sense is, like, let me have children put, like, their addresses and junk into, like, balloons and, like, whatever... I think there are better ways to have done this. It's my personal opinion. <laughs> if this teacher was, like, a real person, if we were discussing, like, a, a true crime case or something. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, like, 
now, if, if you were to do something like this with like a, like a class of, of, of young children, it would be definitely prearranged mm-hmm. with someone in the community. Who oh, is yeah. Like, like, rather than it being like sent randomly through the balloons, the kids mm-hmm. would just like get a pen pal. And even if you wanted to like, you know, send the balloons off, because, um, like, a five-year-old isn't going to know, like, if, if they just, like, write, <laughs> yeah. like, a letter in an envelope and send it to their pen pal. That's going to feel like, like magic. Oh, you, you found a pen pal who's sending who's sending a letter to you, and you're going to keep up a correspondence that's mediated through the school. You know, a five-year-old yeah. doesn't know. <laughs> hey, it's kind of insane that this doesn't happen. I know it's a fictional story, and <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like there's some steps. It's also because, like, He's framing it in like this suburb where this would ha- this like this, this like semi out of the city suburb kind of space where this kind of thing happens because they're like soft and foolish and stuff <laughs> and think they're safe because they're like white and have money, but like yeah 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 that, that's the thing I was gonna say is because like because they think that the space that they live in is safe and that's why they have moved here, but it's like hey I think. This is why people get eaten by, like, cougars when they go hiking for the first time. <laughs> they leave their, like, little suburb and go hiking into, like, various mountains and then get devoured by creatures. But, like, the creatures are, like, in your community. And that's the story. <laughs> Well, it looks like we're going to wrap it up there for tonight. It's good to be back. Let us know what you thought of this episode and of Pen Pal. Give us a like and share us with your friends. Next episode, we're going to be wrapping up Pen Pal with parts four to six. This has been the Creepypasta Book Club. Thank you and good night. <laughs>